We're just at the point on the tape, George, where um, you had begun to work with Colleen Moore at First National. But before we pick that up, I wonder if you'd go back and tell me a little bit about doing additional scenes for Mary Pickford's production, Less Than the Dust, in New York. Um, they were doing some extra scenes for Less Than the Dust, and Eric von Stroheim was directing them, although he didn't direct the whole picture, as I understand. Uh, George Hill was the cameraman, and I was assigned to him as his assistant. And I uh, remember it was my first experience with Eric von Stroheim, and he was something to uh, behold. He was a very uh, uh, Prussian kind of man, and he had a great uh, uh, discipline about him. And uh, it was very interesting to me to see all these uh, costumes and the, the wagons and the things that they had. It was a it's quite a spectacular picture. What was the precise nature of the scenes that you did, George? What kind of things were they? Do you remember? Uh, no, uh, there was a, a big chariot or a wagon of some kind, an uh, old-fashioned uh, period-type wagon or chariot, and uh, 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 there was um, the people were in costume. Uh, I w it was too long ago for me to remember particularly, uh, sp specifically what the scenes were. I remember uh, being fascinated by George Hill, who seemed to uh, to take a great casualness about everything and who knew a great deal more about it than uh, uh, anybody I had been around, and he seemed to be very positive of himself, and I was very interested and fascinated by him. Were these mainly exteriors? And if so, no, they were done in a studio. Them? They were done in a studio uh, in one of the... Uh, uh, it seems to me that it was either the 44th Street or the 48th Street studio in New York. I'm not sure just which. And uh, I recall that Adolf Zucker was over there uh, during the time, I suppose visiting, uh, I guess, Miss Pickford. And uh, it was, there was a lot of to-do about it. There was much uh, business going on there. All right. That's about all I can remember about that. We'll jump back to uh, 1920. And at that time, you started uh, the first of about three or four films with Colleen Moore. I think it was three. The yeah. first one of these was Orchids and Ermines. Oh, yes, Orchids and Ermines. I think it was directed by Al St. Clair, uh, Saint, Al Santel. That's right, yes. And uh, it, uh, it was very f interesting, uh, fascinating working with uh, Colleen Moore. She was a very sweet, nice person. Uh, seemed like almost like a little girl she she had this great dollhouse which she was at the time interested in and uh, she seemed to be uh, we thought playing with this dollhouse more or less but it actually was a quite a project and as you know it was later put on tour for charitable reasons and uh, they made quite a lot of money with it and a friend of mine uh, who whom I got to know later was the art director on a picture had had a great deal to do with the design of some of the rooms and the big staircase, uh, that, uh, that curving gold staircase is his, and some of the little tiny bits of furniture he had created, and he did quite a lot of work on it. Then later you did also with her Naughty But Nice and her Wild Oat. And in connection with her, George, I wish you'd tell us that story about uh, taking her to church. Oh, she was a very kind person. She never liked to awaken people in the morning in her household, although she had a bevy of servants and drivers and things. She uh, never seemed to want to disturb anybody in the early morning, 
So she would ask me, are you going to church tomorrow? And I would say, yes. So uh, she'd say, would you pick me up? So I would come by with my family, and we'd pick her up, and we'd take her to a church over in uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, or rather on Sunset Boulevard. And then we'd all go back to her house and uh, sit there and talk with her for a while. And she had a great, huge uh, St. Bernard dog that uh, would give you the impression of tearing you to pieces, but I guess he was actually very gentle, but nobody got close enough to him to really find out. And she was very, uh, very charming and very wonderful and never seemed to uh, want to take advantage of her position in uh, any sense of the word. Then there was another story that involved pig Latin. <laughs> I think it used to drive the poor directors crazy because uh, Colleen's hair comb was a specific uh, little Dutch bob thing, and we used to try to put a highlight from the back on each side of her hair. Now, if, it, uh, if she turned her head too far to the right or left, this highlight would then hit her nose, which we didn't want to have happen, so we'd... Uh, uh, she always uh, would be, was talking pig Latin, so we all got in the habit of talking pig Latin back to her. So during the scenes, I could talk to her in pig Latin, which uh, I'm sure upset the directors no end because it bothered them. Uh, we'd say uh, Ozne, Ozne, or Inje, Inje, and so on. <laughs> and she'd put her head right where you wanted it, and she was extremely cooperative. And I never saw anybody who could come alive so quickly and so wonderfully as she did when the camera started. She'd sit there with no expression on her face until it started and then bingo. She was on and she was full of energy and vitality and zest. Then you seem to have completed your first national contract working with people like Billy Dove and Mary Astor and Jack Mulhall and Dorothy McHale. And, and, McHale. Oh. and then I think... I went to New York. Yes. And you must have made your first sound film for Paramount. That's right. I went to New York. Uh, someone in my wife's family had died. I went to the funeral. I went over to see my friends in the Long Island studio just to see how they were going and what was happening and so on. And uh, Johnny Swain, who was uh, running the laboratory for the Paramount Company, wanted to know if I was busy. And I said, no, I was. And he said, do you want to go to work? And I said, sure. So he went to see John Butler and came out. And I was back at work at Paramount. And they started... Uh, that was when they had they first started their sound program, and we started from scratch. There was no blimp equipment, there was no booze, there was no way to uh, shield the camera from the sound. So we, each time we'd make a scene, we had to cover and build a kind of a barrier around the the, the camera. Uh, so that I can remember a very amusing incident with uh, Gene Lemieux, who directed the letter. He uh, never seemed to want to put anybody out or give anybody any trouble. It was very necessary for me to find out if a scene was sound or silent. So um, he would be describing the scene, and I would say, is this sound or silent? Because there were many scenes that were silent. We could have shot open, you see, with a camera open. And uh, uh, he, knowing it was quite a little chore to get this blimp or booth built around the camera each time, because we were in the process of making a permanent one, but we didn't, hadn't gotten it yet, he uh, he would say, oh, uh, uh, well, just a little bit of sound. <laughs> he trying to <laughs> trying to assume that it would be uh, much easier if you only had a little bit of sound. You'd, of course, you'd have to have the same amount of shielding, whether it was a lot of sound or just one word. What did you register about uh, Gene Eagles, George? And was this the uh, the part about the flowers? 
Is that where this comes in? The flowers? The, uh, oh no, I beg your pardon, the, the strawberries and the raspberries. Oh, uh, do you want me to tell yes. that? Oh, that was a uh, that was a scene in in one of the pictures. I've forgotten that she that she did. I've forgotten the name of it now. Something about a, I think it was with Freddie March, and she was on a on a, on a balcony in, in a in a Paris apartment or a hotel, and uh, the the butler came in and opened the windows, and she looked out and said, "Oh, Paris, Paris in the spring," and the waiter the waiter had come in in the meantime and put down on their table where they were to have breakfast some raspberries, and she said, "Oh." The raspberries, they give me the rage. And then a young and brash assistant director who had just gotten out of college said loud enough for Miss Eagles to hear, well, I don't think Miss Eagles should say that the raspberries give me the rage. I think the American public will think that this is an affectation. Whereupon Miss Eagles gave him a withering look. They did the scene again, and she said, oh, Paris, beautiful Paris in the spring, the way to put the raspberries down on the table, and she said, oh, the raspberries, they don't give me the raj. And this is the only concession she'd make to Americanisms. I think that must have been jealousy, wasn't that the film? It could have been. As a matter of fact, I think it was. And I think it was photographed by Bill Steiner, and I was there when they did the scene. I did not shoot that picture. Oh, I see. That's why I didn't have it on your list. Yes. Then let me see. In the sound period, you made The Hole in the Wall. This is in 1929. Gentlemen of the Press. And then we come to the coconuts. Pardon me, there was a one that I, whose title is so fascinating that I must put it in there. The pusher in the face. Did you have that? Uh, no, the, but I think you mentioned the it. The pusher me. in the face. Okay. I think was the was, a, was with so many uh, uh, Lester Allen and uh, uh, Hitchcock, Raymond Hitchcock, Lillian Walker, uh, Stell Taylor, who just as recently died. And uh, it was one of the very, very first sound pictures and was directed, if I'm not mistaken, by Florey, Robert Florey. And this is, a, I think, the all-time low for any kind of a picture as a title, the pusher in the face. <laughs> well, would you tell us a little bit about working with the Marx Brothers on the coconuts and later on animal crackers? Well, working with the, co the, with the Marx Brothers on all of those early pictures that they did, the coconuts, animal crackers, and so forth, was just like trying to put a lasso on a flea standing on one leg blindfolded. They were the busiest and the craziest and the wackiest people I've ever seen in my whole life, and they kept everybody in a constant uproar. Groucho particularly would find my somewhat technical conversation to the people, do this and break that down and get abroad here and do so-and-so, and the things that we in our business are accustomed to talking about and saying and uh, never think anything about it, and it's a kind of vernacular that is part of our business. But Groucho found this very fascinating and also a great springboard for some of his funny jokes. So he would say, now, what is, what are you, what is that? What are you saying? And I would tell him what it meant, and then he would make a big joke about this, and pretty soon I found out that I was just a source of, of great material for him, so I didn't have time for that anymore because I was really too busy. Margaret Dumont was in those films, too. Yes, yes, she was. And she always struck me as being uh, completely bewildered by them. I, I, I think her <laughs> bewilderment, which she played in the picture, was not at all uh, put on. I think she really was <laughs> mixed up. She never knew quite what to expect from them. And, of course, uh, Chico was a real, real, real uh, character. And uh, I remember one day uh, Groucho was ill and he couldn't work and Chico and Harper were supposed to have the day off 
And Chico came in, and he was very angry at having been called. And he said, I had my reservations uh, all made. He's telling this to the director, Vic Herman. He said, I had my, my reservations all made, and you had to make me cancel it. And Vic said, where were you going? Well, Chico had never expected anybody to ask him this, so he couldn't think where his, <coughs> where his, where his reservations were, where he was going. So he obviously had been pulling our leg and really wasn't going anywhere. Then I think, uh, at, toward the end of 1929, working with uh, Ruben Mamoulian, you did a film called Applause with Helen Morgan. Mm, very interesting picture and a fascinating experience. Uh, Mamoulian was so far ahead of uh, most of the people that I had worked with at the time. We had a lot of symbolism in that picture. Incidentally, we shot that entire picture in a what we call an icebox, which, uh, as you know, is, a, is an old... Uh, booth uh, uh, which was pushed around on wheels, the camera and the operator and, uh, and the whole uh, business was inside of this and run by a flexible cable and if you wanted to make a dolly shot you dollied the entire contraption and we went through little hallways with specially constructed little uh, booths and uh, I had Sam Levitt as my assistant at that time, and he was sitting up on top of my shoulders following a focus upside down, and the only way we could uh, get him out was to, when we opened the doors, we'd have some grips there to catch him as he fell out. There was no way to, <laughs> no way to have him stand up. And there were some very exciting experiences, and we did some scenes with four-inch lenses uh, in which we had to back the camera away a long, long ways. To do this, we had to knock some sets down, which were behind us. The reason uh, we had to get far enough away to make first a long shot and then gradually dolly in, dolly in closer and closer, until we came to a close-up of Helen Morgan's ear and the, the, the mouth and the, the side of uh, the face of her little daughter saying a prayer into them. And this had come from a long shot. So we made the long shot with a four-inch lens and then gradually moved into a great big head close-up of the two people, mm. and then passed that into her ear. It was a very interesting... Uh, About what distance away did you begin that shot? Do you remember how, how far... Oh, where were you at? I would imagine just offhand we must have been, uh, I would say, 100 feet, mm -hmm. I would think. And that meant that we had to back some back the camera way back there, and to do that we had to knock the sets down behind us, and I recall it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and of course we had worked terribly long hours on that and, and many other pictures during that time and it seemed like you never got home. We what? worked dreadfully long hours during those days. Was Helen uh, Morgan doing a theater date at the time? No, uh, no, I, I don't recall that she was. No, in fact, I'm quite sure she wasn't. She was charming and a wonderful person to be around, very, very uh, unusual, had a great soft uh, feminine quality and was quite disturbed because Reuben wouldn't allow her to see any of the rushes until the picture was finished. She couldn't see any of the rushes. Do you think he was protecting her from uh, her, her perfect I think, frowsy appearance? I, th I think he was perhaps uh, protecting her from being appalled or scared or frightened and, 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 and therefore discouraged. Mm -hmm. yes. Then I have the next one on your list I have is Laughing Lady, with Ruth Chatterton and Clive Brook. And then you made the first of, I think, two early pictures with Chevalier. The big pond. Oh, yes. Uh, Later, of course, you made the smiling, smiling lieutenant. lieutenant with that wonderful Lubitsch. We all adored Lubitsch. He was just simply wonderful. In fact, he played, uh, during the rehearsals, he would play uh, uh, the other, the various parts. He would uh, be the king, he would be the queen, he would be uh, the lieutenant, he would be uh, uh, Claudette. Uh, 
Uh, and with his uh, little funny little black head and his cigar, inevitable cigar in his mouth, he could be more completely that person than anyone I have ever seen. It was hysterically funny and yet fascinating to watch him become the queen and do all of the things that the queen... And then he would be George Barbier, who was the, the king. He played him to perfection much better than George could have done it, I'm sure. And he was a very interesting man and uh, loved New York and, and enjoyed making a picture in Long Island. And uh, uh, everybody was uh, just delighted with him. What sort of thing would Lubitsch say to a player when he was preparing him for a scene? Do you recall anything in particular? No, I can't. I'm sorry. I, I just can't uh, remember. He had a little uh, sort of tiny bit of a sort of guttural accent. and he was. But he was so... Uh, he had so ma so much charm, I guess charm and personality, and such talent that uh, uh, it just stuck out all over him. Uh, toward the end of uh, 1930, taking it back a little for the moment, you did a film called Laughter with Nancy Carroll and Frederick March. It was directed by Harry DeRest. Yes. It was a, a very, very uh, rather unusual role, particularly an unusual role for, for um, uh, Frank Morgan to play wasn't, uh, was, I think Frank Morgan uh, uh, had a very serious part in that. Um, um, we also liked Durast very much. He had quite a personality. He was a Basque and a uh, uh, very interesting kind of guy. We, uh, we did a lot of interesting things in that picture. Uh, he, he would not like a sequence. Uh, uh, he would decide that uh, overnight that he had thought of some uh, new line or new series of uh, situations that would change it, and he would go right back and do it over again. And he was particularly interested in really making a good picture, and uh, nothing would deter him from this. We all liked him very much. He was a very nice uh, person to be with, and a very enthusiastic man, and uh, also had a fascinating personality. Then you made a film called Honor Among Lovers, directed by Dorothy Harrison, and this was followed, uh, I'm being a little free here mm -hmm. in this, uh, with, by four films with George Abbott, Stolen Heaven, Secrets of a Secretary, and then two with Lula Bankhead, My Sin, and The Cheat. All right. Uh, I think that The Cheat was directed by... Um, George Abbott. By, uh, not by Abbott, by... Uh, 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 Fiddle, oh. Berthold Fiddle. Am I, am I wrong about that? Uh, I, maybe I picked up the wrong credit here. I, I think, yes. I, I think it was, uh, I don't think it was that he may have produced it or it had something to do with it, but I, but I believe that uh, I can remember a very, oh, I, can I tell you a little story oh, about the course, cheat? Uh, Irving all, Pitchell was yeah, in the cheat. This is right. Yeah, first, you were going to say something first of well, all? Well, I was going to say that Virtel is, is uh, credited with the direction of the film you made after the cheat, The Wiser Sex. Uh, well, I'll, I'll straighten. All right, it doesn't matter. I, th I, I'm quite sure that yeah. Vittle did the cheat, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Freddie Zinnemann was his assistant at the time. Uh, there was a scene in which uh, Irving Pitchell, having exacted a promise from uh, uh, Tallulah Bankhead to uh, go away with him, uh, she failed to if he if he protected her husband or her lover from something I've forgotten what it was about. Uh, uh, 
she reneged on this, and therefore he became very angry. He was going to brand her with a, an iron on her shoulder to, uh, to identify her as a cheat. Uh, so we had this big scene in, a, in, a, in a, an apartment of his house, and uh, we had this branding iron heated, and we had a piece of uh, beefsteak on Tallulah's back or shoulder, and this man, Pitchell, took a hold of her and put this hot uh, branding iron on the beefsteak, which was hidden from the camera, and the, you could see the uh, smoke rising from it. And Tallulah would writhe in anguish from this, and uh, uh, the movements of the scene were very heavy and ponderous, and I felt that, uh, uh, that this was not the reaction that a person would have from a, a brand, that they would... Uh, wrench themselves away violently because this was an intense pain and uh, nothing could hold them. And incidentally, M Mr. Pitchell happened to be holding her in a, in, I thought, in a rather ineffectual way. I don't mean to criticize his acting, but the, the posture and the position that he held her was, it was impossible for anybody not to have gotten away. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this to Mr. Fiddle, and he uh, seemed to respect my judgment, and uh, uh, yet they never seemed to come to a complete understanding of what I was talking about because they again did the scene and the same thing happened. Mm -hmm. And again they did it uh, and the same thing happened. And I kept saying, no, it isn't, it, isn't, it isn't right. It isn't the way it should be. Now, in the meantime, the beefsteak is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. <laughs> and nobody had paid any attention to this. So they put this brand on Tallulah's shoulder again. And she said, oh, my God, I'm burned. And, and she wrenched herself away and dashed across the room in about... Uh, half a frame, and I said, this is exactly what I'm talking about. That is what she would do if she were burned. It was certainly proved my point very effectively. Is that the take that was used in the film? <laughs> I couldn't say. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> then let me see. You worked in a couple of films with uh, Claudette, The Wiser Sex and Misleading Lady, and then you did uh, a uh, big roundup film for Paramount called The Big Broadcast. Oh, oh yes. Well, that... Uh, uh, I guess the the uh, when you talked about the films for Claudette, wasn't there one uh, Cyril Walker or or, or Walker uh, directed it? Uh, the, the Stuart Walker, Stuart the Walker, lady. the misleading lady. Wasn't that that wasn't that with uh, with uh, Edmund Lowe? Edmund Lowe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was the last film that was made in the Long Island studio. It was closed just then, and all of the entire operation was moved to the West Coast. Mm -hmm which is how I came out to California and how I was assigned to do the big broadcast, which immediately went right back to New York and right back to the Long Island studio because it was filled with radio personalities, Kate Smith and Duke Ellington and uh, uh, Bur Burns and Allen and, and so forth, all of those Boswell sisters and all, many people. And uh, so I, we went right back to the Long Island studio, but I always think of it as, as having originated out here. Incidentally, it was directed by Frank Tuttle. That's right. That's right. So after I did the Crosby film, I, uh, I did a little sequence in the, uh, the um, If I Had a Million or The Millionaire, If I Had a Million Dollars, If I Had a Million. Do you have a credit of that kind? No, I don't. That well, I did one of the sequences in that, you know, the one with, uh, with Wynne uh, Gibson. Gibson. Yeah. Uh, uh, the one about the girl that, that, uh, that, that slept without her stockings on. Oh, was she a streetwalker? In yes, like yes, that? yes. And she, Who the, was the director <laughs> for that particular episode? A man named Roberts. Uh, Al Roberts, Ed Roberts, 
Ed or Al Roberts. He died uh, sometime shortly after that. Uh, then I left there, and I went, uh, I went to RKO, and I did uh, Animal Kingdom with uh, uh, Griffith. Do you have that down, by the no, way? No, I don't have that credit. That's another one, uh, uh, Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Leslie Howard. Leslie Howard, uh, Myrna Loy, uh, Bill Gargans, I think, was his first picture, so. uh, if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, uh, Anne Harding. Anne Harding, yes. I was trying to think. Anne Harding, yes. She was uh, in that very charming, wonderful person. We had a good time on that picture. Then uh, I was supposed to do a picture with Dorothy Osner there, and something happened. Uh, They didn't do it, or it was uh, delayed or something. And I left and went to uh, Metro, where I did... uh, Men Must Fight. Men Must Fight, Mm -hmm. with Ruth Selwyn and uh, Diana Wynyard. And Phil Phil Holmes, yeah. who was tragically killed in the early part of the Second War. And that was followed by uh, Reunion in Vienna, wasn't Re- it? Uh, yes, I think that was. I think Reunion... Uh, yes, I started to do um, kick, uh, 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 a picture with uh, uh, Raymond Navarro and Myrna Loy. The, the Barbarian, was it? Uh, doesn't matter. I can't think of it now, but I'll, I'll, I will think of it and tell you later. Um, and and uh, this, no, this was with Sam Wood. Maybe it was the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. And then. Uh, affair? I don't know. Something. I can't rethink. I can't call, recall it now. And anyway, I was uh, I was taken off that picture to go on reunion in Vienna because uh, Diana Winyard was uh, was in the picture, and uh, I had photographed her, I guess, successfully in the er- earlier picture. So they wanted to have. It continued, and I did this picture. Uh, this was with uh, uh, Chester Franklin, Sidney Franklin, uh, and I had worked with Chester so many years before, and I enjoyed him, and I had learned so much from Chester that I was delighted to work with Sidney, Sidney, who was uh, of quite an artist in his own right, and was really wonderful to work with because he. He did appreciate quality, and he would try to get it, and, and we had a wonderful time together. I was Barrymore, didn't he? Yeah. I'm using on this <laughs> he, was, uh, he was wonderful. Poor Miss Winyard. She was, uh, they had a scene in which uh, she was to take or to, to, to either take from or give him a glass, and uh, somehow there became, uh, it got to be quite a fumbled affair, and... Uh, uh, Due to one reason or another, they, they, the machinery of the scene was such that she, she couldn't quite e- give it to him, and, and, and she was. They had made several takes of this, and uh, she finally, rather I thought, discreetly and uh, carefully, suggested that if Mr. Barrymore would hold the glass in such a way, then she could take it, and he, with his usual Barrymore <laughs> flair for the dramatics said, are you trying to tell me how to hold a glass <laughs> of all people, you know? And uh, the poor girl was very embarrassed that uh, she probably was right because he didn't have his hand in the right place at the right time. Then after this, you appear to have made the first of a number of films with uh, Richard Boleslavsky in this Storm at Daybreak. Storm at Daybreak. Oh, my goodness. Boleslavsky. I'm so, so sorry this man died so early because he was, I think, a very, very talented, uh, very uh, unusual, most exciting director, fascinating to be with. I couldn't tell you how enough nice things about him. He it was just wonderful. 
Uh, he brought out all of the enthusiasm that you could possibly have. He was just wonderful to be around, and everybody was crazy about him. Incidentally, his son, who uh, at that time was a little, little tiny baby in arms, and uh, whom I saw uh, Bowley holding uh, quite frequently with little transparent kind of cheeks, is now a, a tall, thin, blonde assistant director at Metro, and I have been trying to catch up with him to, to talk with him about his father, but uh, we've been on separate companies, and I haven't had time to find him, but I will. I wish you'd speak a little, George, about uh, Men in White, which you made with him in 1934. We have a print of that at Eastman House. Well, Men in White was a very interesting picture to work on, and again, Bowley's uh, encouragement and his uh, enthusiasm and, and his great uh, ability to get, uh, I guess, the best out of you. Uh, helped me a great deal. We had some very interesting things in that picture. We would uh, do very daring things. We would take Vaseline and smear it on a glass in front of the lens and uh, suspend uh, Elizabeth Allen's bed, for instance, in a long shot. We would suspend that in a kind of, uh, um, maybe you might call it ectoplasm bottom to hold the the, the, the legs of it would disappear into something. There was a very eerie effect. He wanted to get some unusual quality to the death of this girl, and I think we achieved that in this picture very well. Incidentally, we used one hospital room for four particularly different, uh, different rooms, four different uh, rooms and four different lightings, each one uh, of the lightings expressing uh, uh, the mood of the scene. The, uh, there was an angry scene between Gable and another uh, dentist, uh, doctor, and there was a death of Elizabeth, and there was a love scene in the twilight, and uh, uh, there was a, a number of, of, it called for a lot of, uh, of um, variety in the lighting, and we changed the room around so many times, using that one room for all four rooms, that all hospital rooms are all the same, but we just rearranged it, and uh, nobody would, could possibly tell it was the same room. Then after you finished the death scene, you went to a party. Oh, yes. <clears throat> you wouldn't let me forget that, would you? <laughs> well, uh, Elizabeth uh, Allen died, and and we had such a, uh, a intense interest in this scene. And uh, I remember uh, putting a little electric light bulb in a little pan that was there that is used uh, in the, the hospitals. Uh, and I, and I put this little electric light bulb in there to get a little reflection in her eye, so that. Uh, we had one spotlight hung way up in the air, right down in her face, and, and had this uh, gauze and uh, this Vaseline spread around on the outside of the picture as a vignette. And uh, when she died, I would kind of die with, the, with the, her in it, and Bowley would die in it, and we'd do the scene over and over again a number of times, and each time Elizabeth Allen died, Bowley and I died too, a little bit. So that night we went to a party, and it had affected us so uh, intensely that neither one of us could get over the emotionalism of this particular scene, and we were heaving sighs all over the place, and everybody in our family was wondering what was wrong with us, and it was just that the scene had just, we just couldn't let go of it. In the years that, uh, excuse me, in the years that followed immediately, George, you worked um, predominantly with two leading ladies, and the first of these was Marion Davies, I think. Going Hollywood, was that... Uh, oh, yes, I think, uh, I guess Going Hollywood was the first. Uh, that was released in December of 33, and then you yeah. subsequently made Operator 13. Yes. Uh, and uh, Hearts Divided. 
And one other over there at Warner's, uh, after she left Metro, I was borrowed one f with Frank Berzeghi and one with Mervyn Leroy. Uh, the one with Leroy was... Uh, Page Miss Glory. Page Miss Glory, yes, that was it. So, um, but um, going Hollywood uh, had uh, Bing Crosby in it uh, as her leading man and some wonderful songs and great numbers and, uh, oh, we really had a, a fine time. This was a the heyday of Arthur Freed and his extravaganza musical numbers, at least the beginning of them, I guess, and uh, uh, he had, uh, we had quite a number of very interesting sets, lots of fun, all kinds of uh, dance numbers and music, and just a, it was really a great thrill in those days to m make those kind of pictures. Then it seems to me that you made at least eight films with Joan Crawford beginning perhaps with Chains, which was released in September 1934. Incidentally, I would just for a moment like to go back to um, to uh, uh, Marion Davies. Uh, she was a very, very nice person to be around. She uh, had uh, an intense uh, uh, desire to, to, I don't know whether you would call it an ambition, but she was very interested in her job. She tried to do it very well, and uh, she would stay uh, late in the evening and and uh, make tests of costumes in the various uh, scenes and things which uh, uh, showed her interest and her and you know her intense ambition about it and she was a very very wonderful person to be around she was extremely kind to me and uh, uh, gave me some lovely presents uh, but she was uh, just uh, very kind and very nice to everybody. She was. She had a lot of little dogs in the orchestra that was with her. She always used to play her a kind of theme song in the morning, but you could always tell when they were coming because those little dax hounds would make all kinds of racket on the way to the stage, and she, you knew she was coming. <laughs> now tell us about working with Joan Crawford. Well, the first picture I did with Joan Crawford was Chained with Clarence Brown. Chained uh, had uh, Clark Gable and uh, Stuart Irwin. And, uh, of course, she was just absolutely fascinating to work with. Uh, she had a great uh, face to photograph. She, gosh, it was just a joy to, to, to do things with her. And she had, uh, she was very cooperative. I, I, I noticed at the time that she would do, you know, most anything that uh, uh, the cameraman asked her to do. She was very helpful. She also used to keep herself in wonderful physical condition. As a matter of fact, she would run a mile every morning on her way to the studio. She'd have her driver run along, ride along in his car, pace her, and she'd run a mile from Brentwood, which is just around the corner. Her house is just around the corner from where I live now. She would run a mile on the way to the studio, and she certainly was in wonderful physical condition. Uh, she's always made a great thing of her uh, keeping herself in shape, and I think she's kept herself in pretty good shape for a long time. She was great to work with and a very, very wonderful person. Then, uh, also in these years, you made uh, a film in 1935 with Jean Harlow called Reckless. Oh, yes, I remember uh, Reckless. Uh, I don't know that I can say. It was with, uh, directed by uh, Victor Fleming, real uh, mad guy, wonderful, great, but... Uh, you never knew where you were from one minute to another. Uh, completely unpredictable. 
I'd made a picture with him, as I recall, not a picture, but uh, some sequences a long time ago. And it was the first time I had ever used uh, flares outside in the daytime as a sort of uh, beginning of booster light. When the light would be down, we'd use flares. This is before they began to take booster light on location. I learned this first from Fleming, who at one time had been a cameraman, as you perhaps know. He was very... Uh, he was quite a, a, a fellow to work with, and uh, uh, you had to uh, fight your way through. If you wanted something, you had to fight for it, and uh, you had to convince him. And if you were a weak kind of person, he'd push you all over the place. But uh, I think you very quickly learned where you stood with him, and uh, you take a stand and, and stand by it. You were all right. Uh, 1935 was also the year of Kind Lady, which I think was very well received, was it not? Uh, Critically. Hmm? Kim. <laughs> as long as I'm not nervous. Good. <laughs> now let me see. Now comes 1938, and um, uh, let's see here. You did Arson Lupin Returns. Oh, with uh, Dick, with uh, with uh, George Fitzmaurice. Yes. And. Uh, um, Melvin Douglas. Melvin Douglas. Yes, I remember Melvin Douglas. Yes, I had made some pictures with Melvin Douglas in New York with Claudette. And so we were old friends. He's always very nice to work with. I haven't seen him in a long time now. Then came Hold That Kiss. And then I'm skipping some of the Joan Crawford films you did in here because you've already spoken of her. That, that carries us to 1939. Excuse me. Would you, would you mind stopping for a moment on, on the gorgeous Huzzy? Uh, I don't know if I said this, but I always felt that the, go the gorgeous Huzzy uh, has always a, a sort of special place in my memory because it was the one film in which I was able to put the light in all of what I consider the right places. I made the whole picture uh, be... Um, all of the scenes that we did in that picture were photographed with the sources coming from the correct places. If the light came through the windows, this is where it came, and the light never changed uh, uh, when we went into closer shots. Mm -hmm. We kept it in the same direction, and it was a very interesting experience, and it worked out very well, and we were able to uh, carry this idea out to its com completion, and it, uh, I think it paid off because the picture was very well received, and while it didn't win the award, it was uh, one of the nominees. Then 1939, you made Fast and Loose, and Society Lawyer, Lady of the Tropics. The Lady of the Tropics was the first film that uh, that uh, Hedy Lamarr did for Metro after Algiers, I believe. And uh, I think this was the film that uh, caused the introduction of what we now call Grills or Cocoloris. Cocoloris being a sort of name that somebody hung on this, uh, this uh, thing that... Uh, my crew and I kind of worked out to uh, knock down the white costumes without dulling them by putting nets on them. We, we decided that we wanted to keep them as fresh and crisp as we could, so we put large grills, particularly uh, using grills because the, uh, the architecture of the picture was, um, was sort of a mosque-like thing and uh, it was oriental and we could uh, assume that that had some connection with it. Uh, we found them to be so successful that the grill was 
brought into its own in the picture business, and I believe it stems from that particular picture. It's probably the first time it was used. Then after Lady of the Tropics came Remember. Oh, yes. Remember was done with Robert, Robert Taylor and uh, Louis and, uh, and Greer Garson. Uh, directed by a wonderful man named uh, uh, Norman McLeod, who was a very silent, quiet, charming, good-looking, wonderful person. Nobody could help but love Norman McLeod. He is just a darling. In 1940, you made two films, according to my list. That's my woodpecker I told you about. I'm glad he's on the tape. Two Girls on Broadway. Oh, the two, two Girls on Broadway with uh, Lana Turner and... Uh, and uh, George Murphy. Uh, well, Joan and, and Joan Blundell, yeah. yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, a very interesting thing about that, we were talking about uh, the, the two, two girls on Broadway the other night. I have a friend visiting me from Canada whose name is Jim Telfer, and he tells me that about that time uh, he taught Lana Turner how to ice skate for that particular picture. He was over at the Polar Palace, and somebody introduced him to her, and uh, he he gave her oh, lessons uh, in ice skating. It was an ice, ice skating sequence in the picture, which is why she was over there practicing. And Jim Telfer, who is t now my uh, guest here at, uh, in California, taught her how to ice skate, which happens to be an amusing incident. Thought you'd like to know about that. In October, there was released a film called Third Finger Left Hand. And then in 1941, you made Come Live With Me, Tell me, excuse me, tell me who was in that third finger left hand, just tell me. Myrna Loy and Melvin Douglas. Oh, yes, yes, Robert this was, yes, uh, the director by Robert Leonard, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, 1941, you also made Free and Easy, The Trial of Mary Dugan. Trial of Mary Dugan was with... Uh, uh, Robert Young, Lorraine Day. Lorraine Day. I think it was the first film I made with Lorraine Day. Uh, she's very pretty, very nice to work with. Of course, Ro Robert Young, I think, is one of the best actors in the screen and a uh, very cooperative, very wonderful person, and you, just everybody likes him very much. He's a very solid guy. You followed this with Lady Be Good, Married Bachelor, and Dr. Kildare's Wedding Day. Yes, uh, Lady Be Good uh, was with Fred Astaire and uh, uh, Eleanor Power, Powell, who uh, was some tap dancer, of course, as we all know. She's now married to, to Glenn Ford, and I, I see her occasionally, and she's always very sweet, very kind, and wonderful to see. 1942 was a pretty big year for you, too. You made Rio Rita and Grand Central Murder. Mm, it was, uh, it was uh, Syl Sylvan Simon. Yes. Mm -hmm. Panama Hattie. Panama Hattie, yes. Again so, with Norman MacLeod. That's right, yes. Panama Hattie had uh, Ben Blue, uh, Rags Raglan, and Red Skelton. Yes. And if you don't think that's a crazy trio to be around. <laughs> also, Dan Daly. Dan, Dan Daly, he was... <laughs> <Junior>. <laughs> yes, he was something, too. He was full of beans. Oh, he's a very funny man. That Ben Blue, of course, had to drive you absolutely crazy. He was the funniest thing I've ever seen. He'd steal the scenes right out from under everybody. He was fantastic. Then came Seven Sweethearts. Oh, yes, Seven Sweethearts. As a matter of fact, I just saw Frances Rafferty, who was one of the Seven Sweethearts, the other day. She came into our studio. I hadn't seen her in, oh, I guess ten years. She looked perfectly wonderful. This was a wonderful, wonderful picture with that great uh, Sockle, uh, Cuddles Sockle, who uh, 
had such a wonderful personality. It was directed by Frank Berzeghi and produced by Pasternak. Uh, the uh, 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 Catherine Grayson was one of the seven sweethearts, and uh, we had a real big time on that picture, and it was lots of fun. Hard work, but lots of fun. Then came uh, two pictures from uh, separate series, Dr. Gillespie's New Assistant and Andy Hardy's Double Life. Yes, I remember those. It was with Barrymore, and one, one of them was with uh, the, the, the Chinese uh, actor. There was Van Johnson. It was one of Van Johnson's first pictures. Oh, yes, he was there. 1943, you made Three Hearts for Julia, as Thousands Cheer. Was Thousand Cheer was directed by George Sidney. had... Uh, had uh, Gene Kelly and Catherine, and Catherine Grayson in it. It was with co in color. Then came a guy named Joe toward the end of the year. Yes, a guy named Joe was a very, very interesting picture. Uh, Sam Symbolist uh, produced it and uh, Victor, Victor Fleming directed it. It was up, we, we, we had it up for the photographic award. Didn't get that either. I missed on more Academy Awards on what I think were good pictures than anybody in the business. I guess I just wasn't destined. Uh, in 1944, you did two big pictures, The White Cliffs of Dover and Meet Me in St. Louis, which I would like to say right now is one of my very favorite musicals. Yes, I, I, I think that Meet Me in St. Louis was a wonderful picture. We had a wonderful time on that. Judy was young and uh, uh, just great, because she's a terrific actress, I think, and has fantastic talent. Uh, John Hodiak uh, uh, did a picture with her later. Uh, the boy that played the lead, the boy that was who was oh, the boy next door was uh, uh, Tom Drake, was it? Tom. Oh, I guess I'm getting the two pictures mixed up, You're am I? The Harvey Girls. I'm thinking of the John Harvey Girls. Yes. Uh, but uh, Meet Me in St. Louis uh, wasn't uh, didn't it didn't have Tom Drake? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, Lucille Bremer. Mm -hmm. Yes. And a little Joan Carroll, wasn't it? The, the little girl, Margaret O'Brien, and Joan Carroll. Yes, yes. I, I uh, saw her on a, on the television the other night. She's grown up to be quite a young lady. In 1945, I think you made only one picture, according to my list, unless this is wrong. The clock, is that right? The clock. Uh huh. Which is enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was uh, Robert Walker and, and Judy. It's quite a time. There's another Mamouli, uh, uh, Minnelli picture. I guess I had an easy time in 45. I could have stood it after all those. Then <laughs> 46, you were back in harness again, and you did Zigfeld Follies. That, incidentally, must have been done at the end of 45. Uh -huh. You viewed in January of 46. Then the Green Years. Green Years was with uh, Victor Saville and uh, Hume Cronin and uh, uh, the little boy that has now grown up, uh, Dean Stockwell. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, the, the school teacher uh, Hayden, Hayden, Richard Hayden. Yeah, yeah he he uh, he was in it. He's now directing at Paramount, or, or has been. It was a very interesting picture. Oh, didn't it have uh, uh, Co Charlie Coburn? Yes, Charlie yeah. Coburn yeah. and Jessica Tandy. Yes. Then came the Harvey Girls. I've got that out of order, too. That should have been at the beginning of 46, which means it was probably done at the end of 45, and also means that you weren't 
quite so idle. Not as busy as I suggested before. <laughs> well, I'm always glad to have them. I'm always glad to be unbusy in the midst of that. We've, we, I did have a terrific amount of pictures that uh, seem to be very busy all the time, and occasionally it's rather nice to get back and catch your breath. After all, you don't want to be unbusy too long. Then came another big musical, Till the Crop Clouds Roll By, mm -hmm. and then The Secret Heart. Forty-seven. Oh dear, here's another gap. Nothing till Green Dolphin Street. Uh, 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 the Secret Heart. That was with uh, Claudette and Walter Pitt. Oh yes, 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 yes. Directed by uh, uh, Robert Leonard. Yes, yes. I I have to sort of stop and catch myself occasionally to remember them. <laughs> Then Lana Turner again in Green Dolphin Street in 47. We had a wonderful experience on Green Dolphin Street. It was directed by uh, 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 Saville. Oh. Uh, uh, we went to a location up in the Klamath River, right at the edge of uh, California and uh, Oregon. And we, l we were living in a tent city right at the, right at the edge of the, uh, of the river. And we had a, a uh, an island, and we built a kind of drawbridge and a, and, a, and a ferry over to it. And we had a very, very exciting experience. We had a big log jam, and oh, there was all kinds of uh, tidal waves and uh, volcanoes and earthquakes, and it was quite an active picture. We uh, lived in this tent city, and I have never had such perfectly wonderful accommodations anywhere in the world as we had on that picture. They fed us magnificently, and I recall that I, uh, who have never been able to gain very much weight, gained about eight pounds in a week and a half. So, uh, well, I was out early in the morning and all day long, but we were fed magnificently, and uh, it seemed to be just what I needed because I sure felt well. This was followed by If Winter Comes, and that closed the year 1947. If Winter Comes, uh, if I may talk about that really? for just a moment, uh, Along about this time, Green Dolphin Street and uh, uh, the Green Years and <coughs> If Winter Comes, we seem to be having a great deal of difficulty, uh, particularly in our studio, with what I call empty blacks. The blacks were becoming, beginning to get hard, <coughs> and I had been casting around in my mind for a long while as to how I could eliminate this. Uh, nothing I seemed to do or any of the other cameramen seemed to do seemed to work. So uh, I finally went to the extreme of reflecting the light on uh, people instead of hitting them directly with keys and diffusing the keys. I found that didn't work sufficiently, so I reflected the light onto them from a large white source. Uh, uh, in uh, If Winter Comes, I did this almost exclusively. I don't think there was, uh, there were, there were not very many scenes uh, that had the academic key light on them. We used uh, key lights reflected from doorways, from arches, from white uh, uh, silks that I hung up and hit light into and reflected back to the people and it was extremely successful and we had no trouble with our blacks and we had a great variety of separation from highlight to halftone to shadow and it was extremely uh, uh, successful and I uh, have continued to use this method whenever I get into a contrasty subject. This brings us to 1948 and State of the Union with Frank Capra. Oh, yes. Uh, and then in 1949... Can, can, I, can I stop, man?
You began 1949 with Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Mm, which I just saw the other night on television, and I was crazy about it. It was wonderful. It was so cute to see Frank Sinatra, and the whole thing, the whole idea of baseball with him and uh, with Gene Kelly, the numbers were cute. I, I liked the picture. I think they ought to re release it right now. Then in July came The Great Sinner, and in November, Adam's Rib. Mm, the Great Sinner was a, a great effort which availed us nothing and at adam's rib adam's rib was great anytime you can make a picture with george kukor uh you have a lot of things going for you george kukor is a, an extremely talented charming delightful artistic man and a, just a joy to be around didn't i do something earlier with him did you have that er earlier picture that he did with ina claire Back way back in New York uh, at the Long Island studio, did we ever miss that? Oh, uh, the awful truth. No, 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 no. Uh, oh, oh, oh! Reunion. No, uh, uh, rebound. No, not rebound. The the one about the Baron was uh, uh, the royal family. Did you? Oh, have did it? you do that one? Yes. How did I happen to miss that? I don't know. I just thought of it now. The royal oh, family. Tell me about that right now. Oh, that was such By a golly, so that was a marvelous that picture. Was the, the I've never forgotten the end of it when she when she raises her head and she decides that she's going on with the tradition in the theater. I went out of the theater with so much emotion. I came back the very next night to see that again. Oh yes, well that was. Uh, let's see, it was Ina Claire, uh, uh, Freddie March played yeah. uh, uh, John Barrymore. Henrietta Crosman uh, played uh, 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 she's the grandmother. The, the grandmother. Yeah. Mary Bryan. Mary Bryan was in yeah. it. Oh, I can remember. I got some still pictures, by the way, ah, of that thing here, if yeah. you want them. Yeah. Uh, am I holding this too far yeah, away? That's right. Uh, exciting. Uh, the, the, um, oh, it was such an exciting film, and it was so wonderful uh, to see. Uh, it was one of the first pictures. It was the first picture I had ever seen uh, Cukor direct or had heard anything about him, as a matter of fact, and he was a very fascinating uh, guy. He kept uh, everybody uh, in good humor. And uh, he's very talented. He, he'd have all the smart, wise, and uh, cute things to say to Ina Claire, who would have uh, given an opportunity, probably would have run roughshod over him. But not uh, <laughs> not uh, Cuco. <laughs> this is a man that you don't push around, believe me. Oh, he was wonderful. Uh, I'm so, so glad we thought of that, because uh, uh, this is a sort of high point. I remember we used a special piece of equipment uh, in that. We needed a boom. They had no booms in New York. We needed something to go up and down that staircase because there was a great deal of business. Ina would come down in a Botticelli gown and uh, uh, Freddie March had one great scene, if you recall, where he came in tearing his clothes off and he, just as he got into the shower, he took his shorts off just as he closed the shower door. Uh, well, that was <laughs> all in one... upstairs, everybody, while I take a bath. Yes, all uh, the whole thing. Uh, the whole family trooping after him and having much conversation and so on. And we just... That was a great shot. This is... We made this uh, thing without the benefit of uh, modern booms, and we pushed this thing into the staircase and then went up on it. It was an elevator size. It was a lift uh, that you might use in a, in a factory to, to, to move big, heavy pieces of equipment. Yeah. So we started the camera up as he went up the stairs, and we had it so that when we got right to the top of the stair, we were level with the upper floor, and then as he went into the bathroom, uh, the bathroom and into the shower, we pushed our camera off this thing onto the floor and dollied it into where he was, and it was an unusual shot, and we had a lot of fun with it. Um, there's a young man named Frank Cabot, who was the assistant director, who later became a playwright and wrote uh, 
forsaking all others, a play that I think uh, Tallulah Bankhead did. Then you finished, uh, let's see, you, you've been talking about uh, Cucar and, and Adam's Rib, and you finished 1949 with Malaya. Oh, yes, that was with, uh, again, with Tracy and uh, uh, John Hodiak and Dick Thorpe. Uh, we had a lot of day for night on that picture. Uh, do you mind if I tell no, you about that? We had bright California sunshine, and we were to make uh, Malaya at night. And uh, uh, Dick Thorpe is a pretty efficient, uh, pretty fast uh, director, and you don't, uh, uh, you know, you get the scene one way or another. We had all this stuff out on the on the Metro River to do with this uh, man and, and had it look like night. Well, it was in the bright California sunshine, so uh, my assistant Bobby Brenner and I got together and we picked the filters that we were going to use. And then I had a painter and I kept him with me all the time. And I painted more of Metro's foliage black in the foreground on that picture and hung up great big black sheets to throw shadow into things and, and undertimed some of uh, Eastman Kodak's film, effectively, I'm sure. Uh, so that we got a credible result, but uh, it took quite a little planning, and we had a, a, a lot of uh, things going for us. In 1950, I saw two credits for you, The Big Hangover and A Life of Her Own. Oh, The Big Hangover was done with, uh, with Norman, um, Norman Krasner. Fascinating, energetic, dynamic little fellow. He wrote the story, and... Uh, he uh, very seldom directs. He did this one. He introduced a new method in, in this, in sound, in which he had, uh, it was a scene, in, in, uh, and much of the picture was a dog that talked uh, to uh, uh, Van Johnson. And uh, uh, the audience could hear the conversation between the two, and everybody thought that Van was a little nuts, apparently, in the picture. And he had... Uh, done something, I've forgotten exactly what it was now, he had a special earphone made that would fit into Van's ear so he could hear the dialogue that was allegedly coming from the dog and then answer it back so that uh, his answers would be coming uh, in proper sequence and it was uh, quite a, a, a thing because they had to have a, a ring of uh, tubing around him to make an antenna so that the, the voice could broadcast. In other words, they were broadcasting this to him from a little broadcasting unit off the side of the stage. And uh, he was full of a lot of <coughs> little things like this, uh, Krasner was, and <coughs> but a very exciting guy to work with. Never saw such energy in my life. We're at 7.30 at 8 o'clock at night, he was just as bouncy and full of pep and energy as he was in the morning. Then you did the other Alana Turner picture, A Life of Her Own with Cucor again. Yes. <coughs> and in 1951, you did Vengeance Valley, Mr. Imperium, Night in the Morning, no, uh, night in the morning. Uh, I don't know whether I should say this or not, but I, I, uh, I told uh, the, the producer Eddie Knopf that I didn't think they should make this picture, and I didn't think as if they did make it that I would ever go to see it. I thought it was a, an extremely unhappy picture to make. Uh, I just felt that the topic was such a distasteful one, and it was such an appalling thing. Uh, uh, I had a young son uh, about that time. My son was uh, about the age of the boy in the picture. And in the very first beginnings of this picture, the, 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 uh, the Ray Melens, uh, uh, who was a school teacher, 
his, his house, his wife and his child are blown up in an explosion uh, in their house and killed. And uh, I just felt that this, uh, there must be thousands and thousands and thousands of people who uh, have children about that age who would be appalled at the possibility of this happening to them and therefore that this was a distasteful kind of thing and I felt that it shouldn't have been made. Plus the fact that it made him, uh, it was also had uh, Nancy Davis in it, in it yes. wasn't it? In one of her first films. Yes. Incidentally, Colleen Moore sent Nancy Davis uh, out to the studio to have the test and told her that uh, she should only make the test, or she could, she could only make the test if she had me to photograph it. This is how Colleen uh, never forgets you. A night in the morning was followed by the law and the lady the man mm -hmm. with a cloak. The man in the cloak was um, uh, Karen, uh, Leslie Karen's first picture. Uh, uh, it was done by, uh, directed by Markle, uh, 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 Fletcher Markle, and uh, it had our dear friend uh, Lou Calhoun in it. Isn't that right? That's right. And uh, what a charming person he was. Leslie was very, very uh, fascinating to photograph. Uh, it happened to be a sort of dramatic light effect picture, and uh, her pixie little face took very kindly to this type of lighting, and it was a lot of fun to do it, and we, we enjoyed it very much. Then you closed the year 1951 with Shadow in the Sky. Shadow in the Sky. I can't... Ralph Meeker, Nancy Davis... Oh, oh, was that what they called it, finally? I, it was uh, something about, about uh, rain. Uh, rain, Rain, Go Away, as I recall. When I was working on it, I didn't realize they had changed the title. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that uh, directed by Freddie Zinnemann? Or Freddie uh, Wilcox? Yes. Yes, well, uh, uh, that, they had changed the title. That's why I didn't recognize it. 1952, you did Lovely to Look At and Million Dollar Mermaid. Those both, both were with um, Mervyn Leroy. We had a lot of uh, uh, interesting things in Lovely to Look At in the color sequences, uh, in, the, in the dance sequences, all in color. Uh, we had one particular thing with the champions uh, uh, in a big dance number that they did. Uh, the, there, there was a series of arches in the back of the set, which they wanted to have all red. So we put red light every place in this thing. Uh, and the, incidentally, the, 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 the arches were painted red, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that when you walked into this series of, of long arches, you, you were not struck by anything except red light. Mm -hmm. There was no white light visible to you because all of the white light was behind you. It was so uh, disturbing to your, your visual sense that, that, that you had no top or bottom or side. There was, a, there was the floor, the ground, the side, the top, everything was red, all the same color, all of the same thing. So you would, you, you, you would almost have vertigo. You, I find myself almost falling over. And other people had exactly the same experience. It was quite interesting. The minute you walked through the, that, that archway and lost the white light, you were gone. You'd, you could fall down if you weren't careful. Yeah. How they ever did the dance, I'll never know. And they, <laughs> we did a very interesting thing. They were all, they were all dressed in, uh, in, in uh, they were in, in red, and they danced, and they, they ran back into this thing, and they, they just disappeared. Mm -hmm. All you could see were their faces. And then... They, uh, when they turned, they were gone, and so they just disappeared. They just like they burned up into. It was an extremely interesting effect. I don't know if it was still on the film when it was released, but it was quite fascinating to us. In 1953, I show one credit: all the brothers' rebellion. 
Oh, this is the one we did down in Jamaica. Yes, that was quite a... and We had a wonderful time down in Jamaica. Lots of uh, uh, water stuff, and we had fine uh, experience down there. And in 54, or perhaps at the end of 53, you did Executive Suite. Oh, yes, yeah. Executive Suite was with Bob Bobby Wise. I thought that was a very... Uh, it was a very interesting picture. Yes. And then June came out one of my other favorite musicals, Seven Brides for Seven. Oh Brides. yes, I, I I do feel it. That was that and uh, and uh, Meet Me in St. Louis was the were the two I think 